The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Uh, thanks for being a part of Story City this morning. If you're brand new, by the way, uh, we don't take that lightly, and we'd love just to high-five you after the service, say hello, and thank you for spending an hour with us. We've been in a series called The Ever-Chasing God. I personally have loved the book of Jonah. So we have this week, and the next week we'll close out the whole series, and uh, I'm excited about today. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, if you happen to bring one with you, you can go ahead and open it up, turn it on, turn it to Jonah chapter 4. If you don't have one, that's okay. We're going to put the verses on the screen. I'm actually not going to make it all the way through Jonah 4 today. Uh, I'm going to save the second half for the recap next week of the entire book of Jonah. And I believe it's going to be really, really good. So let me do this. Let me pray for us. And then we're just going to jump right into Jonah. Can we do that? Jesus, thank you for today. Uh, God, thank you for your grace. God, may we dwell on that today. May you speak to our hearts Transform, inform our affections today as we reflect on the greatness of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Um, you know, as we have launched into uh, starting a student ministry in our church, it has really... Uh, it's really energized me. It's brought back a lot of uh, a lot of thoughts, a lot of emotions about about my past life in ministry when I was a student pastor. And I have it's it's been so amazing. It's energized me. It's awesome. When I read the book of Jonah, chapter four, it reminds me of a game we used to play in youth ministry called Would You Rather. Have you ever played that game before? Would you rather like Would you rather do this or Would you rather do that? Um, can we play that this morning? I, I know this is may seem weird. Like this is not youth group, uh, Pastor Matt, but I understand that, but just enter, this is for me, like this is group therapy for me, all right? Um, just entertain me. At the last service we did this, it took like one or two questions to get into it, but then we had a few laughs and it was fun. And so we, I want to play Would You Rather with me. I want to say two things. Would you rather this or that? If you would rather the first thing, I want you to sit down. If you would rather the second thing, I want you to stand up. Can we do that? Are you okay with that? You sure? <laughs> Well, let's just try it and see. Let's try it and see. Would you rather lose all of your money and all of your valuables, or would you rather lose all of the pictures you have ever taken? If you'd like the first, sit down. If you'd like the second, stand up. Lose all of your valuables and all of your money or all of the pictures you'd rather take, okay? All right, all right. We'd rather have our money, obviously. Number two, would you rather be able to see 10 minutes into your own future? You can sit down. 10 minutes into your own future, or 10 minutes into the future of anyone but yourself? First question, sit down. Second question, stand up. Would you rather 10 minutes into your own future or 10 minutes into somebody else's future? Okay, all right. Third question, you can sit down. Would you rather be famous when you were alive? This is such a good question for LA. Would you rather be famous when you were alive and forgotten when you die or unknown when you were alive but famous when you die? Which one would you rather? First one, sit down. Second one, stand up. Really? Oh, that's pretty cool. All right. Cool. Next question. Would you rat? No, let's skip that one. Um, <laughs> would you rather your shirts always be two sizes too big? You can sit down. Or would you rather wear your shirts one size too small? You can stand up. All right. The first service, it was like 100%. I'd rather be one size too small, right? So vain. That's awesome, though. Um, Last question, would you rather, this is sort of an odd one to end on, but let's just go with it. Would you rather the general public think you are a horrible person, but your family be proud of you, or your family think you are a horrible person, but the general public be proud of you? Does that make sense? 
You'd rather your family think good of you, sit down. You'd rather think the general public be proud of you, sit down. Okay. Oh, this is church. That was too easy. I knew how you were going to answer that one. Cool. I, I used to love that game. Like, we would actually have students, like, go to one side or the other. And it was so funny. It's like, oh, you know, you look at across. Oh, yeah. And uh, anyway, when I read Jonah chapter 4, I think we've got this game going on of would you rather, right? Like, if you've been here over the last three or four weeks, you, you know the story of what's happened here. Um, Jonah's a prophet of God <clears throat> from the nation of Israel. And God has looked at Jonah, and he said, Jonah, I want you to go to, to, to Nineveh, and I want you to tell them, and I want you to preach, and I want you to tell them about the grace of God. And Jonah says, God, actually, I would rather get on a cruise ship and go to Tarshish than go to my country's sworn enemies. I would rather not go to Nineveh and teach and preach about the grace of God. And so what we have here is, in Jonah 4 is, is we're beginning to understand what's deep down and what's most valuable in Jonah's life, right? So let me ask a couple diagnostic questions to launch us into this passage. Um, what, what, do you, what, do you, um, what to you would be most terrible in losing in your life? What do you obsess over obtaining? What drives you the most in your life? Or what is the one thing in your life that if you lost it, if it was extracted from your life, what is the one thing that you would say, if I don't have that in my life, life would not be worth going on, right? No, so you don't have to answer. Let me answer it for me. Like, what is the one thing I think the most about losing? I, I think the most about losing my way of life. Uh, what do I obsess the most about obtaining? I obsess the most about obtaining financial independence, specifically paying off my house, the one debt in my life, right? I obsess about that. I've got to get my house paid off. Um, what's the thing that drives me? The thing that drives me the most is, is, that, is that I prove that I'm a faithful and trustful person um, who's good at what he does. And then if I had to answer the last one, like what's the one thing if it was extracted from you? Like what would life not be worth living? I think for me, that would be my family. So, so you don't have to answer that. Let's not be so personal here for a moment. Let's talk about not you, but let's talk about Jonah for a second, all right? So when we read the book of Jonah, we see these four chapters. We see some things that are most valuable to Jonah. Specifically, we can determine that Jonah is, is, a, is receiving his identity, who he is as a person, the thing most valuable from probably his position as a prophet in the nation of Israel. Not only that, but the thing that probably gives him the most worth and the most value in life is knowing that his country is a prosperous country and it's a secure country. How do we know that? Because Israel and Assyria were sworn enemies. Jonah said, I don't want to go to Assyria because if they change, then that could affect my prosperity and my security. What's so bad about that? Well, we see that Jonah has these things in his life that are desperately valuable to him. And there's these emotions that start coming out of his life, like, like smoke billowing out of a home. And the smoke billowing out of Jonah's life points us back to the things that are most valuable to Jonah. I think this book, the entire book, is a beautiful picture of how the grace of God can overwhelm anyone's sin. I also think it's a beautiful picture of how the purpose of God can shape your life. But to get to that, we have to understand what are the things that are most valuable to me and do they align with God's heart? When we read Jonah, we see that Jonah's heart and God's heart is not aligned. 
We see what's most valuable to him, and we see the smoke billowing out of his life, and we can look. Where there's smoke, there is fire. We know something's happening in Jonah's life. So Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Starting in uh, verse 1, the scripture says this, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. If you happen to miss last week or the last few weeks, what's happened here is that God told Nineveh, I mean, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh. I want you to preach the grace of God to Nineveh. And Jonah said, God, I really don't want to do that. I would rather go this way. God intervenes, puts him in the belly of a fish, extracts him from the belly of the fish after three days, spits him on dry land. Jonah chapter 3, last week we see Jonah is fine finally obeying God. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches the extraordinary grace of God. And what we saw was Nineveh responded to the grace of God. And so their hearts are beginning to change and transform before his very eyes. And, Nineveh, I mean, and Jonah hates it. He's hate, it's putrid to Jonah. So, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Verse one, and he became angry. His response to it was such that, uh, that like, like his deep down heart response to somebody acknowledging the grace of God was deep, desperate anger. There's smoke billowing out of Jonah's life. It's pointing us to something going on deep down. So he prayed to the Lord and he said, isn't this what I said to you, God? When I was back at home, that is why I tried to forestall fleeing to Tarshish. So we found Jonah here in chapter 4. He's obeyed God, yet he's still unsatisfied in his heart regarding his obedience. In fact, he's downright angry about it. He's mad that he's obeyed God, and this is the situation that's turned out. So, so what's happened is Jonah's conformed to God's will. His actions have conformed to what God's asked him to do, yet his heart has not caught up with the process. His heart has lagged in the process. He understands something in his head that his heart has not yet acknowledged. And so we see in the second half of verse 2, um, Jonah says this, For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. He's acknowledged something in his head, but it's not made its way all the way down to the depths of his heart. Why? Because there's something more valuable in the depths of Jonah's heart than his identity and his purpose in God. Slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Wow, shame on you, God, for being so gracious, right? <laughs> shame on you, God, for being a God who is so compassionate towards humanity. Now, verse 3, this is what Jonah says. <clears throat> now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Here's the would you rather. Jonah, would you rather obey God and go to Nineveh even though you, uh, the Ninevites are contemptible to you and be in the will of God? Or would you rather run from God and be in the belly of a whale? God, not only would I rather run from you and be out of your will, I would rather die. Something's going on. There's smoke billowing from Jonah's life. Where there's smoke, there's fire. He's so sick over his obedience that he would rather choose death. Now, verse 4. Verse 4, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Other versions say, Jonah, do you have a good reason for being mad at me? 
What's your reason? This is sort of like, I don't know if you have kids, but uh, this is sort of like having kids and you're in smart and final and they want something. You're like, we're not going to get that. And they lay on the floor and they do circles and they spin and they cry and they whine. So the entire uh, smart and final can hear like you're in the chip section. Everybody over in the vegetable section can hear what's going on with your kid. And you just look at them and you're like, really? Really? I mean, like, this is how you're going to respond so this is like God looking at Jonah. He's angry. And God's like looking at Jonah. He's like, really? Really, Jonah? Is this how you're going to respond to the fact that people heard about the grace of God and their life is transforming? The problem is, is that Jonah's got more delight. He's got more joy in the prosperity of his own country. The prosperity of his own position and status as a prophet of God than he does in knowing and delighting in God. How do we know that? Worry, anger, resentment, jealousy, unforgiveness billowing up out of his life. They're like emotions where there's this constant smoke all around Jonah's life. It's an indication, look at me, that something is not right. What's not right? By the way, these emotions can be very valuable, not only to Jonah, but they can be very valuable to you. Are you angry today, resentful, unforgiving, jealous? Is there envy in your life today? The emotions, all of those can be very valuable to you. What do you mean, Pastor Matt? They're very valuable, just like um, walking into a home and seeing smoke as a fireman is valuable to the fireman. Dousing the smoke will not put out the fire. The fireman wants to get directly to the source. He wants to know where the fire is before the entire house burns down. Anger, jealousy, resentment, unforgiveness, envy. When you see those in your life, you know there's a fire raging in your heart. And just like smoke will lead the fireman to the fire in the house, anger, jealousy, resentment, unforgiveness will lead you to the depths of your heart to know there is a problem in who you are and what you value and where you find your identity. The dissension that goes on in our hearts in those moments is due to the fact that God's heart and my heart are in conflict. Our hearts are in conflict and they do not align with each other. Why? Because I'm trying to get my identity, my worth, my value in something other than God. For Jonah, what was on the precipice of his life, the top shelf of his life, what got priority in Jonah's life was his status, his position, the security of his country. Ultimately, God was in the mix, but he wasn't at the top. All of us can identify with that, right? All of us can identify with trying to get identity from something, right? I want to be identified as a good mom. I want to be identified as a great employee. I want to be identified as a fantastic friend, right? For men, most of us get our identity in our athletic ability, our sexual prowess, our ability to earn dollars. Women get their identity typically in um, attractiveness, our relational security, relational um, ability, all of us try to get our identity from a lot of different sources. The problem is, the challenge is, when we build our identity, our value and our worth on anything other than God being on the top shelf and what he has said over our life, the problem is all of those emotions will always billow from our hearts. Why? Because when something, when someone infringes on the thing that we believe gives us the most worth, naturally we hate and we resent and we're angry about and we're jealousy. 
What do you mean? When I was in high school, I uh, played football, and I was a pretty good athlete. I started on tenth gra- in 10th grade as a, as, a, as a tight end and as a defensive back. I started in the state championship my 10th grade year. I started in the state championship my 11th grade year. When I got to be a senior, I was not voted a captain of the football team, even though nobody on the team had played in more games, had started more games than me. I was angry and resentful and jealous towards those people who had been voted captains on the team. Why? Because I thought I deserved it. My worth, my value was in that I was a good athlete. That's where I found my value. Bring it back to now, you can create your own scenario. But for me, in ministry, a lot of times, guys who are in ministry will look across the spectrum, especially those who try to perceive their value as someone who is faithful and trustworthy. Oftentimes, we apply that by seeing across the spectrum of ministry, who's got the book deal, who's on the speaking tour, whose church is growing. And then we say, I'm just as valuable as that person. I'm doing just as worthy of ministry as that person. Why do they get that? And I don't. And so when things begin to impinge on, uh, on, our, on our value and where we find worth, it's natural that we have these emotions. And so we find in Jonah's life, something is wrong. Something stinks deep down in his heart. And we know that should point us to a problem in our lives. There's an indicator. My heart, God's heart are out of alignment with one another. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, what we said was that's an indication that there is an idol in your life. What are those idols? We said there are three that you can point back all of these things back to. One of these three, the idol of comfort. I want to feel that. The idol of control. I want to have that. The idol of significance. I want to be that. And so what we find is that Jonah is wrestling in his heart deep down with all of these idols that are happening. And these idols are an indicator these, uh, these jealousy, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, it's an indicator that an idol is roaring in Jonah's life. Is there an idol roaring in your life today? Is there an idol that's spilling its way out into who you are and what's going on in your life? Can other people see that maybe there's something more important to you <clears throat> than your relationship with God? Something funny happened to me this week. On Friday, I was uh, my mom and my sister in town, and my sister's two kids, and then I had my three kids, so we were all in our van. And so it was my mom, my sister, our five kids in the van, along with my wife, and we're driving through this parking lot, and uh, I have my window rolled down. And admittedly, I was sort of in the way. This person comes around the corner, and, uh, and they shout out, bang, bang. Like, I can't say the word in here. There's kids here, but there's two words. They go together, and it's a bad word that I would never say to my kid, Right? And I had this moment where I just start chuckling. I start laughing, right? And, uh, and, and people in the car, and my mom, they were like, what's so funny? I'm like, that person goes to Story City Church. <laughs> and uh, they were like, really? I'm like, yeah, we're a real classy bunch, right? Um, so, so after the first service, like five people confessed to me. I'm like, yo, dude, I'm not a priest. You don't have to confess, right? It's all good. So, so it, was like, it was like, it was just funny moment of, of like, Oh my gosh, that is so funny. I can't believe that just happened. There was no, I mean, literally I was laughing about it. We had a blast over the situation. I wasn't angry. It was just sort of funny. I was like, that person, uh, I won't say who it is, uh, but uh, that person, um, that person just like, I'm not mad, even mad at him, right? The next day, 
I'm on, uh, I'm in downtown Burbank and uh, we're sitting at the traffic light. This has probably happened to you a million times in our city. Like somebody just has to get through the light because they're just, they got a place to go. The president is waiting on them. And so you're sitting there, the light turns green. It's time for you to go. Yet you can't go because Mr. Important is at the middle of the intersection and his light is clearly already red, right? To make matters worse, this guy had earbuds, 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 something, he had the things in his ears, right? He turns the corner. I literally, my window's down. We're all just waiting on you. That's literally what I said. (laughs) And to make matters worse, like this awkward moment like from the office happened. My son in the back seat, five kids in the back seat, mom and dad are, mom and sister in the car. My son's like, yeah, we're just all waiting on you. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that parent fail, right? And like, there was this immediate moment, like, like my mom's like, she's like, mm, I didn't raise you like that, you know? Like this shameful moment. I'm like, ah. I need grace, right? I need grace. Thank you for Jonah. These things that billow out of our life, our hearts, our minds, our emotions that that just, by the way, other people see them. And in that moment, I was like, oh gosh, I hope nobody at Story City saw that, right? All these things begin to billow out. There's an indication that something may be wrong in that moment deep down in our life. So these were symptoms in Jonah's life. Jonah's seeking refuge, identity, value, worth in something more important than God. Something's on the top shelf more important than God. Why? The question to ask is why? why? Why was that the case for Jonah? The reason that's the case for Jonah is because Jonah is terribly ignorant of the grace of God. Jonah is terribly ignorant from the grace of God so what do you mean? but wait a minute, Pastor Matt, in chapter four, verse two, Jonah acknowledged the grace of God. He said, I know you're a compassionate God. I know you're unrelenting. I know you will relent from sending. I know that's who you are. The problem was Jonah knew it in his head. His heart had not yet caught up to it. But more than that, he knew that God would be gracious to the Ninevites. But Jonah did not understand that he had also been a recipient of the unrelenting grace of God. He was terribly ignorant of the grace of God. And he's resentful. You know why? Because he doesn't put himself in the same category like the Ninevites who need great grace. Have you ever met somebody that just walked around all the time? It's like, oh, I'm unworthy. I'm the worst person in the world. Like, like you, don't, no, you don't ever meet people like that, right? right? You don't ever meet people that are walking around like, I'm the most unworthy person on the planet. Why? Because most of us think of ourselves as basically worthy human beings, which implies that God owes us something good, right? That's why you hear hear people ask questions like, why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? There's an implication there that you innately think that you are worthy because you are good. The implication is that because you are worthy and you are good, and there's a God who is good and can prevent bad scenarios from happening, you ultimately think, God owes me because I am worthy, I've been to a lot of funerals in my life as a pastor. Never once have I ever been to a funeral where somebody stood up in the funeral and said, wow, well, that jerk's just finally getting what he wants, right? What, what he needs, what he deserves, right? I've never heard that. But I have heard people say, 
I have heard pastors say, I've heard people um, walking past the casket say, wow, heaven just gained another angel, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm troubled a little bit by that because of our view of our worthiness before God. Why is that? Because we consider ourselves worthy that God owes me. Therefore, anyone who receives grace must be a person who is unworthy. Grace is shocking to most people. Grace is shocking to most people. Like, like we think the people who receive grace, like, like that's dishonorable. Like, like a person's in a bad position in life. A person is down in life because somewhere, somehow, some way down the line, they made a disastrously awful choice. Now they have lost their family. They have lost their home. They have lost everything they own. And because of that bad choice, now they are in the place that they deserve. So if they ever get grace, if they ever receive something that we perceive they don't deserve, that's a dishonorable that's a dishonorable situation and a dishonorable person. You got something and you never worked for it. I was like that at Clemson. I was a very good student. I didn't study much. Just honestly, some things just came and I could just do it. I got a good memory. I can look at things and I can repeat it and do it. And typically that's what our education system is. And so I would go to class having studied for like an hour and I would do really well. My, my, uh, my, uh, my roommate, my roommate, my roommate, he, he, would, uh, he was the exact opposite. He never studied, yet he got great grades. Why? Because he cheated, right? He got answers from other people. He cheated the system. And I was like, that's dishonorable. That's dishonor. You didn't work. You were an unworthy person. And so when we see people who are in that category that we place on people, we find that grace is shocking because they don't deserve it. You know, people who don't believe that they need great grace are typically people who are the least compassionate people. We don't understand that I don't need the type of grace that Nineveh needed. I need a category of grace that is significantly less. But here's the thing. When you can truly see yourself as a recipient of great grace... When you see yourself as a recipient of great grace, then God's compassion becomes valuable to you and you can be compassionate to others. The person who understands God's grace towards them is amazed by it in their own life and they're delighted to give it to others. Is that you this morning? Is that you? Can you place yourself in those shoes? Do you see others and say, why them? Why, why not me, Right? Like, why did they get married and I didn't? Why did they get the part and I didn't? Why are they financially independent and I'm not? Your answers demonstrate the understanding that you have of great grace. Are you generous with your money? If so, you probably understand great grace. Are you forgiving with your spouse? If so, you're probably understanding of great grace. But here's the thing. Jonah did not understand grace deeply. He got it here. It never made its way to the cavity of his heart. And in it, Jonah demonstrates the great irony that humanity has with sin. What is that irony? We place our sin on a lower level than someone else's. Nineveh's in a whole different category from me, God. I don't steal never killed, never murdered, 
And they were taking the skins of human beings, placed them on the walls around the city to say, if you disobey Assyria, this will happen. I'm not like Nineveh, God. The problem was Jonah has this great irony as he views grace. Jonah thought, I'm worthy. I don't need grace. Therefore, when somebody else receives grace like Nineveh, it's dishonorable. Those are dishonorable people. They never deserved it. Can I say this to you? Unforgiveness and a lack of compassion. Unforgiveness and a lack of compassion is an indication of a life that's out of touch with the grace of God. Now, listen to me. If that's you this morning, you're like, the last season of my life has lacked significant compassion. I yelled at the pastor this week, right? If, if, if the last season of your life has lacked the ability to forgive people. Can I, I, we don't say, make statements like this to shame you, to point you out and say, see, look at them. You know, there's smoke billowing from their life. We should shame them, right? Because that never transforms anybody. Shame never transforms anybody, nor does acting out of fear. Acting out of fear, like, like Jonah, well, I'll obey you, God, because I don't want to be in the belly of the fish. We do the same thing. God, I'll obey you because I don't want to go to hell. God, I will do this even though my heart's not there because I believe you will respond this way. If I do this, then you will do this. If I don't do this, you will accept me and please me. And so we operate and act out of fear. That was Jonah. Remember we talked over the last three weeks? Jonah chapter one, Jonah openly rebelled against God. Jonah chapter two, three, and four, Jonah obeyed God, yet his heart was not there. He did it unwillingly. He did it reluctantly. Why? Because he was afraid to be in the belly of the whale. That will never transform your life. You will never be a person who serves, loves, has compassion like God as long as you operate from fear. What's the antidote? What's the, what's the challenge? What's the difference? I believe religious people often may never have a deep delight in God or forgive like God or have a heart like God simply because they operate out of fear. Well, I'll do this because I know God said it. Well, I won't do this because I believe God will respond this way. Fear will never bring great delight in your life. If-then scenarios hardly ever produce a disciple who joyfully serves God, where God is on the top shelf, he's got top billing, he's the precipice of my life. What will do that? Only grace. Only grace can produce a deep joy in following God. Religious people make statements like, well, we hate the sin and we love the sinner. Sounds great, but it's, it's an indication of a self-righteous life. No, we, we hate the sin. I mean, we, we love the sinner and we hate our own sin. The difference in the two is that I'm able to look in the mirror and say, I'm a recipient of great grace. And one of those two will transform your life. The other will cause you to live out of fear. Only grace can produce a deep joy in following God. Specifically, seeing that Jesus went down into the belly of the fish. He went down into the depths of the earth. Why? For me for you, because of me, then I can understand great 
grace. I'm undeserving. At the same time, that produces humility because I know that I'm undeserving. It also produces confidence when I can rightly see I'm not worthy and I didn't earn God's favor. I have confidence that you will love me and accept me in the process. But when we genuinely understand the depths of grace, it'll move us on to Christianity 201. I can finally love like God. I can look people in the eyes and say, even though you've harmed me and you've hurt me, there's just grace. I want to pray for us this morning, and I want to give you just a little appetizer for next week. We're going to close out this series, and I'm really excited about it. I'm going to give us the last few verses of chapter 4, and the last few verses are stunning. They're astounding. It's not a Disney movie. We don't ride off into the sunset. We have this awkward, strange moment. It's not people obeyed God, and, and you know, there's a Disney parade. It's, it's not that. It's People obeyed God and they hated it. A man did what God asked him to do and he was so angry that he would rather have died than obey God. And then God asked one question that we all need to ask ourselves. And we're gonna finish there next week. Let me pray for us. Jesus, God, thank you for the depths of your grace, the willingness in spite of us to go the entire way, Father. God, I pray that, Lord, if people in this auditorium have not had moments this week where they've tried to mine their hearts and their affections as it relates to your grace, God, may this be a moment where you bring us to those thoughts, begin to transform our affections so we truly understand how it is that we can love like you, walk with you in joy, not reluctance. Jesus, I pray that you would create in us as a church, a people of God who are a people of grace. Lord, we can walk in all in different ways with different stories, God. And what's gonna transform us is not religiosity and in a, in a list of rules, God, but it will be grace to say, we love you as you are and believe that God wants to take you further. May we be that kind of people in this city, for this city, in this church. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.